Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Ginny Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Psychological safety is the killer app in building engagement, customer satisfaction, and profitability. What if you could take the best practices out there from the best practitioners of psychological safety and have your team emulate those behaviors? Stefan Wiedner broke the code on determining which behaviors build the highest levels of psychological safety, and his company, Zerango, is sharing that knowledge and methodology to teams throughout the globe so they can team anywhere. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host Mitch Simon on the West Coast and we have our amazing co-host Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis on the East Coast. Ginny, how are you doing today? I am really good. Thanks. All right, cool. And of course, now our special guest, we have on the podcast today, Stefan Wiedner. Stefan is a psychological safety expert whose career has focused on developing sustainable, high-performance leaders, teams, and organizations. His passion for unleashing the collective potential of people has led him to co-found, hold on, everybody, Numi.com, the web's largest network of independent life coaches. Skillsetter.com, the deliberate practice platform for interpersonal skills. But there's more. There's Zarango.com, the psychological safety training experts. That's a lot of passion, Stefan. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Great. And I'm really excited to have you because when we have fellow Canadians on the podcast, we are very excited. Isn't that right, Jenny? Well, you are, yeah. Okay. So please tell us what surprised you the most over the last two years. Well, obviously, there was this massive move from normal working conditions to suddenly everybody being online. And I had a conversation with one of my clients and I asked him, he's a learning and development specialist at an organization. And about three months into COVID, he asked his staff, he went around asking all these various managers and leaders within the organization. And he said, you know, it's bimodal. There's two types of leaders that I'm seeing here. Half of them are saying, I don't know how my team's doing. The other half were saying, my team is totally stressed. They're asking me all these questions about what's going to happen. And I don't have answers for them. Help me out, please. And so what he was pointing to was the fact that half of them seemed to not be dialed into their staff at all because in his perspective, they're lacking psychological safety. So those managers, those leaders weren't tuning in to their people and didn't have these natural relationships where those folks around them would naturally come to them and express their concerns, frustrations, and et cetera, and their fears. And then the other half of the teams, managers and leaders, they were feeling the weight of everybody else's stress, which I think is a sign of psychological safety. At least people were able to come to them. Yeah, that's interesting because we noticed that at the very beginning when we started this podcast that if you had psychological safety going into a lockdown, 
most of those teams did pretty well. If there wasn't any psychological safety going into lockdown, those teams actually did a lot worse. So you are a psychological safety expert. Please tell us what is psychological safety and why it's so important. I'm glad you asked because, of course, we were talking about it and I was assuming not everybody here knows what psychological safety is. Dr. Amy Emmonson, who is a researcher out of Harvard, who's really popularized the term, her definition is that psychological safety is a belief that within your team, you can speak up and say what's on your mind, express concerns, frustrations, etc. So it's all about that interpersonal risk taking. You feel like you can say something and there's not some form of reprimand. We have a definition that we like to use, which I think to be a little bit more perhaps common sense, which is it is the belief or rather the courage to speak up and the confidence to know you'll be heard. All right. So courage to speak up and the confidence that you know you'll be heard. And we're going to come back to that definition. I've got a few questions before that. So with that definition so far, what do you see is missing out there? And why are there still so many companies? I mean, Amy Edmondson wrote this article and she's at Harvard for crying out loud. Why do you think there are so many companies that still don't have it? Like what's missing there? That's a great question. What we see in the world is that there are ultimately personalities that bump heads, if you will. So it's a team-based construct. First of all, psychological safety is a team-based construct. And while you can have a culture across a broader organization, within that culture, you might have a lot of psychological safety. There's still maybe pockets where psychological safety is low. And those are the teams where there are personalities that bump heads or there's individuals that cause psychological safety to go down. And so really... What we see as the key to improving psychological safety at scale is by improving interpersonal skills. So giving and equipping managers in particular and leaders within their teams to be able to handle challenging interpersonal moments, because those are going to happen. It's easy to be a leader and a manager when everybody gets along and you're hitting your quotas, et cetera. But then when things get challenging, when, for example, no one's working in the office anymore, (laughs) that's when things get difficult and those skills need to be really sharp to sustain psychological safety. Great. And now, so you're an expert at psychological safety, and we know that there are lots of places out there where you could go to, quote unquote, learn how to do psychological safety, whatever that means. What's the missing ingredient between what you offer at Zarango, I guess what you might offer as a coach or consultant, what's the difference between what you found to be successful? What do people need such that we can drive psychological safety into the enterprise versus just kind of knowing about it? Yeah, great. Well, I want to start by saying there's likely many ways to improve psychological safety. So I don't want to say that our approach is by any means. However, the approach that we are taking is to focus on, again, those interpersonal skills. And we're drawing a lot of our work, the design of our training, et cetera, on our experiences and research in the field of counseling. And if you look at counselors, it seems strange to be drawing from counseling in a world of business. But ultimately, what is a counselor? A counselor is there to facilitate results with another person or could be a couple, right? You can have couples counseling or there's also group counseling. And so we see the role of a leader as being quite similar. And 
within the research of counseling, they've looked at what makes an effective counselor, what characterizes the best counselors, because no matter what type of methodology or approach that a counselor takes, their educational background, et cetera, you know, you have CBT, you have a whole bunch of different types of therapists and counselors. There's always good ones. So what's common about all of them? And what's common about all of them are what are sometimes called common factors, or it's these soft skills these interpersonal skills. It's not what they say, but how they say it. Again, it's easy to have those soft skills and interact positively with someone who you get along well with. But then as soon as someone is perhaps a bit more of a difficult or challenging personality, how do you deal with them? And so we're taking that concept and we're applying it in the business setting. And we believe the same is true within a team. It's easy to be a leader when everybody gets along But then as soon as you have a challenging person who's really opinionated, is willing to express those opinions, is maybe willing to push the boundaries of your comfort zone, then you need to really amp up those interpersonal skills. And those interpersonal skills can be trained and practiced using the principles of deliberate practice, just like you would in sports or piano, learning how to play music or learn how to play sports. You do it incrementally one activity at a time. So one skill at a time. And then in a game, you put it all together. So we're doing the same thing. We're breaking down these interpersonal skills into smaller subcomponents. And then when you go out into your workplace, when you're in a meeting, you're now putting all of those skills together and working on them dynamically as needed. So Stefan, as I'm hearing it, and also through my own reading, it sounds like you have come up with these factors or these skills. And so one part of my question is going to be around, well, what are some of those skills? There's this incremental piece. And how do you convince a particular leader that this is going to behoove you to learn these skills? Here are the results. Here's what you can look at. So I know those are two heavy questions. So let's begin with what are some of those skills? Sure. So With the skills, there are two sets of skills. There's the what you need to do and then the how. So the what are very common and you'll likely see them in a lot of places. It's things like how to ask an open-ended question, for example, or how to reflect back what someone just said. So you don't want to just parrot what they said. You want to be able to paraphrase in order to demonstrate to them, I get you. I understand what you just said without just saying, I understand. It's not sufficient in some cases to say, I understand. You want to say, I understand that you're feeling really confused right now. Is that right? So those are some of the skills. And like I said, those are commonplace. What we're also focusing on is the how. How do you ask those questions or how do you make those comments or statements, the reflection of what someone just said? And those are what we're calling management facilitative interpersonal skills. And there's eight of them. The first one is verbal fluency. So in all of your communication, how well do you verbally express your words? And what a low verbal fluency score represents is anxiety. It's representing that within a group, within your team setting, you're feeling anxious. And so you're struggling to find the words. There's setting and creating hope and positive expectation within your team. So how well do you do that? How well do you kind of champion and cheerlead when there's difficult moments within a team? Persuasiveness is another of the management facilitative interpersonal skills. 
how persuasive are you at being able to convince someone of a different perspective, a perspective that they don't hold? Emotional expression. How do you express your emotions? Is your face very flat? Is your voice and your tone melodic and nice and pleasant to listen to? So there's four more. So acceptance and understanding. So that's very much in the D, E, and I space, right? How well are you accepting of people who are different and share different values, different ideas, etc.? Empathy, of course, is a big one. People talk about it all the time. It's not enough to have empathy. What we're looking for is how well you express it, how well you convey to others that you understand them. We talked about that with the skill of reflection, collaborativeness, or what was originally called alliance bond capacity. So it's your ability to develop and foster relationships within a group. Basically, collaborativeness. How well do you create an environment where you're emphasizing the fact that, hey, we're all a team here and we all need to work together to figure things out. And then Mm -hmm. the last is what I regard to be likely the most important of the dimensions, which is what we're calling interpersonal responsiveness. It's how well can you as a leader or manager skillfully approach conflict or challenging interpersonal moments without just pretending like it didn't happen or blowing the whistle and saying, hey, you know, that was inappropriate. You should apologize to Jim for saying that. Right. Or talking it away. Amy Emmonson is really big on vulnerability as a mindset behind all of this. How does that fit your model? Well, I think that's a great question. And ultimately, a lot of what we're focusing on here to use these skills You need to be able to get into the other person's shoes and be thinking about what's happening with the others within the team. And so ultimately, I think that requires some humility. In order to foster psychological safety, I think we come back to our definition again and again. It's the courage to speak up and the confidence to know you'll be heard. So as a manager, you need to create an environment where everybody has the courage to speak up. Right. And in order to foster environment to do that, sometimes you need to swallow your own pride. You need to be humble. You need to be willing to have those curious questions to say, well, what do you think? And I push that even further. And you need to be able to share your stuff, your feelings, the vulnerability to actually role model vulnerability. So then the whole group says, oh, that's okay to do. Absolutely. The leader is confronting, but look how he's confronting. He's making it real acceptable. He's not putting anyone down. He's saying, that's curious. I'm not sure I agree with it yet. Let's talk more about it. So that gets to that how part that you were saying. I really love these eight skills that you've laid out because we've heard so much about psychological safety, but nobody's really broken it down. So I do love the fact that you've pointed to pieces of it that would actually create psychological safety within the team and an organization. So I want to go these two points as you define psychological safety as courage to speak up, confidence to know you'll be heard. How do you do that in a virtual environment? I mean, that's basically the question that Ginny and I have been searching for over a hundred episodes of. Yeah, we can say that. So how do you do courage to speak up and how do you do confidence to know you'll be heard in a virtual environment? Well, 
<laughs> That's a great question. And well, I think there's a couple of things that immediately come to mind. I mean, first of all, when we look at psychological safety, we also think a lot about group norms because norms are powerful. We as humans, we constantly are looking around us to understand what's the right way to perform in this particular environment. Maybe you can recall, probably it's been a while since you had a new job, but if you ever recall being in a new job in a new company and new organization, you're asking all these questions. What's the right way? If I have a problem, who do I talk to and how do I talk to them? Like you're really picking up all these tiny little social cues. Those are social norms and there's many of them and you can explicitly create norms. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. I think when teams started to move offline or move online rather and no longer be in the office, you needed to define new norms for how to interact with one another. And, and I think a lot of teams came up with lots of creative solutions. Like, for example, a manager having an open office hour. Hey, I'm going to be on Zoom from nine to 10 every day. Jump on, you know, I'm just standing by waiting. It's like my open office hours kind of thing. Create space for that. That's right. So creating these structures in order to facilitate open communication and so on. And then the other is with our training, we, we use a lot of video and a lot of simulated business and work environments where you have multiple people, for example, Zoom meeting, and you have multiple people. And what we find with the training is that some people are far more astute than others at noticing the nonverbals of five or six people. And then I, for one, I know I focus in on the person that's speaking and the person that's speaking only. And that's good. That's useful. And it's also really useful to start to notice all the nonverbals of all the people in the room. They're just particularly important when you are online, as opposed to being in a meeting, because I think when there's tension, when there's high emotions, when the stakes are high and you're in a team environment within like a physical workspace, you can feel that tension. It's a little bit more palpable. Whereas when you're online and everybody's in a Zoom meeting, for example, then it becomes a little bit more difficult. And so it's that you have to really dial up your attunement skills. And this is part of what we do in our training is really having people pick up on and then being able to call out or invite participation when you need it. Like you notice, hey, Ginny, I'm noticing that maybe you're not quite in agreement with everybody here. So what is it that you need to say? And to make sure I understand, Stefan, what I love about what you just said, you actually zero in in your skill building on how to do that. Absolutely. So did you notice this over here? And then how can you bring that person in? Real time practice. Because this is what I feel. I got an interesting comment the other day on a LinkedIn post when one of our guests said, you need to do biweekly check-ins. And I mentioned that is a skill that you have to learn and get good at. Because I get a lot of leaders who say, well, how do I do a check-in? How do I get people to talk? And a reply I got was, oh, I never thought of that as a skill. What? <laughs> <laughs> to your credit, yes, it's a skill and you need to practice it and you need to take some training around it. What I want to add to that is uh, how does a person who goes to, let's say, your training or another really good training, what are you finding is this, the distinction between someone who goes to a training and says, oh, I'm done, I checked the box, and someone who says, okay, I'm going to take this on forever. 
forever is what is necessary right now. What do you have for some recommendations there or things that you've seen? I'd love to answer that. I will answer that question, Mitch. I want to go back to what Ginny said because I want to illustrate a point. You mentioned about doing a biweekly check-in with a staff member or a team member. And some people are going, oh, well, how do I do that? Well, you can give them a set of questions, for example. Well, you might want to start by doing, you know, giving them a bit of an agenda. Now they know how to do it, right? That is the distinction between the skill and then those interpersonal skills. So there's like almost the art and science of it, right? There's what we call it the what and the how. So there's the what, yeah, you got to do a weekly check-in, right? And so I might be really formulaic about it. Hey, Ginny, how was your week? Good. Oh, awesome. Okay, great. Next question. Did you have any problems? No. Oh, great. (laughs) Next question. And then, you know, you, it's like, you can just check it off the box, right? Weekly check-in with Ginny done. So what we're emphasizing with those, the how part is how do you ask the question? Do you have a nice tone of voice that really invites input as opposed to one that just kind of shuts it down, wanting to move on to the next question? Because we as humans are super good at picking up those tiny micro interpersonal moments and responding to them at a, even a subconscious level. So that's the stuff we're really training people on. And that's tricky stuff. So back to your question, Mitch, which is really, I think it's about an attitude of lifelong learning versus an attitude of, okay, I just checked the box. Well, what we're finding is, first of all, the means by which we're training people is we give them stimulus videos. These videos demonstrate maybe it's a 30 or 60 second interaction within a team and they're all actors. So, you know, we're not recording live meetings. We're simulating live meetings. And then the video stops and your webcam comes on and you need to respond using one of the skills. And what we're finding is that means of practicing is really eye-opening for people because in most training, they learn a skill and you talk about the skill and maybe you interact with a person sitting beside you. In this environment, they're learning the skill and now they're practicing it. And then they get to watch themselves and see how they did and see how they performed yes. on that skill. And yeah. we provide them with a rubric that says, in order for this skill to be effectively used, these five things are true. So are they true in this case? And they get to evaluate themselves and re-record and re-record and re-record. It's just like in basketball, if you miss the net, you try again and you try again until you can shoot nine out of 10 perfectly. It's behavior modification. Exactly. And a lot of leaders will think, I don't need that. Everyone else needs that. Put them through that training. That's great. And I think what's the impetus now to turn to the kind of training that you all are offering? It's becoming a must because of how you started out in this podcast. There's leaders who say, gee, I don't know how my people are doing. And that's scary giving that I'm supposed to measure and then I'm in quote unquote facilitate the strategy of what we're trying to do. So you better get in touch. And I think there's a challenge there. We need to educate and inform people because not everybody has that openness to want to try to learn and develop new skills. They think, just as you said, Jenny, well, this isn't for me. This is clearly for those guys over there. (laughs) So my question has a lot to do with that, which is, is psychological safety something where I'm an employee, so I'm employee X, and I walk into a company 
And you've heard this a lot, you know, I'm the new employee, you know, do psychological safety for me. I ain't going to do it, but I really darn expect it inside of this company. So how do you actually deal with that, Stefan? Because maybe all of our leaders went through it and it's focus now of our company, which is to do psychological safety. How do you kind of steer a company to say, this is not about our leaders just being psychologically safe, but that everyone in the company, and if I have a company of, let's say, a thousand people, I can't send them all to training that day, or maybe I could. How do you create that where, hey, team, we're all in this together, company, we're all in this together. Yes, there will be some of us who are, let's say, more skilled, more trained up on psychological safety, but it's a two-way street. Tell me more about that. Great question. So our approach, ideally in a perfect world, we will enter into an organization working with a team. So it's a team. These folks, they need to work together and they're all managers. So they all have their own subordinate teams. And so they get the experience of being part of a team and trying to foster those skills within that team. So most of them, all but one are going to be members of that team, then there's going to be one leader of that team. And then they get to take it down into their own teams. So they get to experience both sides of it. The part where they're the member of the team and the part where they're the leader of the team. And both are vital. It's not just the responsibility of the leader. It's the responsibility of the team members as well to speak up. Obviously, the leader has an inordinate amount of influence because of their position of power. And so ideally, again, we can work with a team So people can experience the skills within their team and grow the psychological safety of their team and then bring it down one level and spread it that way. Okay, great. A couple more questions before we kick this one to the finish line. A lot of leaders were promoted, rewarded for doing anything but psychological safety. Amy discovered this 20, 25 years ago and everything was fine not doing that. What do you do? Let's say you're brought into a company where the leaders are threatened by this new thing called psychological safety, which is a quote unquote soft skill, although we know it it hits the bottom line. What do you do? What do you say to make it easier to facilitate these non-believers and perhaps non-practitioners into accepting, adopting and making this their own? Our best lever is data. Amy Edmondson has an assessment that she created back in 1999 and it's still being used today. It's a seven question survey that we use to assess the psychological safety of a team. And we can lay the results on the table and say, this is what we're finding. You do not have a psychologically safe environment. Now, ideally that only makes sense for someone who cares about psychological safety. (laughs) So there is some amount of convincing where you need to demonstrate, show them the data, the Google project, Aristotle, which you're likely familiar with, right? right? They did a big study, a big independent study where they concluded that the number one factor of effective teams is psychological safety. So I think that speaks volumes in many circles. You point to the science, you point to evidence, you point to the data, you say, this really matters. And we're measuring in your team and look at the scores. And then we have an open conversation about that. And we create a safe environment. We're now going to talk about these results. Why are these results the way they are? And what we find with these results is you might have some people who feel like there is a great degree of psychological safety. Maybe it's, you know, two or three people who are positively aligned with the leader of the team. 
And then you might have three or four people who are feeling on the outside. Whatever the factors are, we want to surface those and we want to uncover what's going on as to why psychological safety is either low across the board or maybe it's varied where you have some people who feel high, some people who feel low. Yeah, great. And so going out then is, yes, there's data. We can definitely take that. If you go to your definition, courage to speak up, you can basically go to a manager and say, hey, we've done an assessment of your team. Your team members don't have the courage to speak up. Most likely, statistics show, you're not getting your effectiveness out of your people. You know, you are not tapping their potential and the team over there certainly is. So do you care about this? I think there's an extra factor that the companies will usually be able to bring to us, which is if there is a leader who is really not in alignment with psychological safety, perhaps they're abrasive and causing ruptures within their organization. There's probably turnover. There might be official complaints from some individuals, right? There are real costs associated with some of these abrasive, you know, if you're going to go to the more of the extreme, right? To those types of extreme behaviors, absolutely. There is a cost. The organization sees it and they can point to it and they can say, hey, listen, we need to do something here because it's starting to cost. It's hitting our bottom line. All right. As we go out then, where do we find you? I mean, I've got all my notes here. We've got numi.com, N-O-O-M-I-I.com. We've got skillcenter.com. I can spell that one. Zarango, <laughs> Z-A-R-A-N-G-O.com. Where else might we go to find you there, Stefan? Well, Zarango is probably the best place. Or, uh, of course, I'm on LinkedIn. You can search me up on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to connect with people and have a conversation there about psychological safety. And those are the two best places, I would say. All right, great. Well, I've really enjoyed this. What about you, Jenny? Oh, I loved it. Loved it. Fits so many of the other concepts for Team Anywhere. Yeah, great. So we're going to post a lot of your resources online. And I just want to thank you for this conversation. Cleared up a lot of stuff for me on how to do this. And really loved the fact that you said a lot of this goes to deliberate practice. And I also love how you've really taken this not from counselors or therapists, you've taken the methodology from the best counselors and the best therapists to be able to bring this into the business world. So with that, thank you so much. We want to thank also our listeners. If you've loved this episode, which we have, please share this episode. Give us five stars. Share this with your friends, your colleagues, your business team members, anybody you just find out on the street. (laughs) We'll see you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere. Anywhere.